Well, it's great to see you here. I'm glad to be with you today. Excited to start the year together um, and uh, get a running end, a running start at, at, a, at, a, at a great time and a great year together. Let me show you a couple pictures here. <clears throat> this is a clip of my then eight-year-old son uh, taking ground balls last spring. Taking ground balls is just basic baseball skill, right? You just do this over and over and over and over again. You got to learn how to field ground balls if you're going to be a baseball player. You just got to do this over and over and over again. Here's a clip of uh, the Los Angeles Dodgers spring training, taking ground balls. So these guys are paid millions of dollars a year to play the game. And uh, they're, they're playing... They're feeling ground balls every day, every day. They just do this over and over and over again. It's just a basic baseball skill, right? Fielding ground balls. Got to do it over and over again. Here's my point. Here's my point. You never outgrow the basics. You never outgrow the basics. There's some things that are so essential, so fundamental, so core, you, you don't ever outgrow them. I'm going to begin the new year with a five-week series called You Never Outgrow the Basics. We're going to talk about God's Word. We're going to talk about your work. We're going to talk about relationships, resources, and rest. These are just five examples. There are more, but these are just five examples of very basic parts of life. And I, I believe that these are going to be really important and helpful teachings and I also think that I'm going to say almost nothing that you've never heard before. There will be almost nothing that is new about what we share over the next few weeks because we're going to talk about some very basic things, very basic parts of life, very basic practices in life. So if they're so basic, why do we want to spend some time talking about them? Why focus on the basics? For the same reason that Justin Turner, who's the third baseman for the Dodgers and is going to make $18 million this year playing third base, takes ground balls every day. For the same reason. Because you never outgrow the basics. You never outgrow them. So, a couple of things I'm not saying when I say you never outgrow the basics. First, I, I am not intending to say that you stop growing, that you that you never outgrow the basics, meaning that you stay in some sort of developmental kindergarten your whole life. I'm not talking about remaining in some sort of remedial math class. When I say you never outgrow the basics, I'm not saying that you stop growing. Absolutely not. I mean, there's a lot of people who stop growing, a lot of people who stop risking and stop developing, and that's not what I'm advocating at all. I think it's frankly tragic when people stop growing and absolutely wanting to encourage us to continue to grow, to continue to develop, to continue to risk and experience life in all kinds of deeper and more meaningful ways throughout this year and continually in life. So by focusing on the basics, I'm in no way saying that we don't change, that we don't grow or that we don't mature. Of course not. A second thing that I'm not saying when I say we never outgrow the basics I'm not saying that we need to get back to the basics. And that's a common phrase in our culture, and I might actually accidentally say that a couple of times in this series, but I don't mean that. 
I don't want to say get back to the basics because I think that actually paints a picture that is inaccurate. We don't get back to the basics. The truth is we never leave them. That's why I don't want to say get back to them. The truth is we never leave the basics, at least we shouldn't leave the basics. If they are truly the basics, like the fundamental elements of life, the essential tools for the journey, like the foundation of the life of faith, the life that we were designed to live by God, then we never leave them. So our goal should not be to try to get back to them. It's different than that. We never mature to a point where the basics are no longer the essential building blocks of the life that we live. Like you never mature to the point where you have to stop taking ground balls. We never outgrow them. So I'm not saying we stop growing. That's just sad. Uh, I'm not saying that at some point we get beyond the basics and then we need to kind of get back to them. Like, you know, remember the old board game, uh, Shoots and Ladders? Or even Candyland is the same sort of idea. It's this linear view of life, and you get to square number 78, and then you spin the little spinner, and it's random, and you get sent back to square three. It's so devastating, right? That's this linear view, like I've made it this far, and now, oh, I messed up. I got to go back to the... That's not what I'm saying, because that's not the way life actually uh, works. What I am saying, what I am saying, and what I'm inviting you to consider with me this morning is that the basic practices, like reading God's word, like going to work every day, and basic parts of your life, like your relationships and your resources and your rest, these are the places of new growth. These are the places that you'll develop this year or fail to. These are the places where the most exciting part of your life exists in the coming year, in the basics, the basic parts and the basic practices of your life. The basics are the location of, of development. The basics are where newness happens. The basics are the cutting edge of meaningful change in your life. The reason, part of the reason that it's meaningful is because it affects you at that basic level. So to use the baseball analogy again, the basic practice is the place where improvement happens, where new development happens. So the all-star shortstop is not going to stop developing or stop growing, nor does he ever get beyond the point where he needs to take ground balls. Maybe he makes this beautiful, amazing play, and, and it gets played over and over, and, and people watch it, and they send it to their friends, and commentators comment on it, and fans cheer for it, and they say, how did he do that? Was it remarkable? Well, maybe it was remarkable, but really it was just the maturing of a basic skill called fielding a ground ball. That's really what it was. Was it remarkable? Maybe, but it's actually the maturing Okay, it's the maturing of a basic skill that you never outgrow. You never get beyond. You just continue to develop. So that's the concept. That's the concept that I want to kind of explore together over the next five weeks. And I want to apply that concept to five basics um, over the next five weeks. Today I want to apply the concept to the basic practice of reading the Bible. Basic practice of reading the Bible. Here's the outline for the next few minutes. I'm going to ask two questions, and then I want to spend some time in Psalm 119. Um, 
So here we go. The first question is this. How do you view the Bible? How do you see it? How do you understand the Bible? How are you viewing or regarding or thinking about the Bible in this season of your life? It's probably somebody at every step of that journey here this morning. Someone's never read the Bible before. Somebody read it for a while already this morning. I want to urge you to view the Bible, to view the Word of God as God revealing God's self and God's heart, his desire, his will to his highest creation, which is you, humanity. I want to urge you to see the Word of God as God revealing his heart to his creation. In the Old Testament, there's a couple of stories in the, in the history of the Jewish people where they are conquered and taken into slavery. The first is the most famous. It's when they're slaves for like 400 years in Egypt. They are freed through the leadership of Moses, and then they enter the big wilderness period. That's early in their history. Late in their history, they're actually conquered again and carted off as slaves again to a place called Babylon. That happens in a shorter amount of time, and then when they come back to the ruins of Jerusalem, after their time away at Babylon, they're sifting through the ruins of the old temple where they used to worship in a way that is probably similar to the, to the way some of these poor folks have gone back to their homes in paradise. They're sifting through the ashes. Look, so they're sifting through the, the rubble of the temple, and they find the word of God. It's this amazing story. You can read about it in this book in the Bible called Nehemiah. They find the word of God, scroll, they would have been scrolls, and it would have been just the early kind of uh, books of, in our Bible, like the first five books or so of our Bible, like Genesis, Exodus. And when they find the, the word of God, they weep. They weep. They weep with joy. Uh, why? Because the word of God is God's heart revealed. That's why. It's, it's the heart of God revealed, communicated to them. It's been so long since they've heard the word of God, they've forgotten the word of God, and now they find the word of God in the ruins of the temple. And the whole assembly, the book of Nehemiah says, the whole assembly gathers and they stand and they listen to the word of God read for a quarter of the day. They just listen to it read over, the, over them, read aloud over them. Why are they so interested why do they care what it says? Why is this such an emotionally charged discovery? Why are they listening? Because they are hearing the revelation of God. They're hearing the desire of God communicated to them in their own language, in a way that they can understand. This is God's desire for us. This is the revealed Desire the revealed heart of God being read to us. That's why they care. Here's a picture that was published by Christianity Today last week. This is a woman who's a part of a nomadic tribe in northern Kenya. It's one of the last 122 languages for which the Bible has not been translated until now. And here's a picture of her receiving a Bible that was carried in in a big box on the back of a camel... And she's embracing the word of God. The translation project for this Bible, this translation, took over 30 years. And I want you to see her face 
And the expression that is coming from the realization that now I have the revealed heart of God. And I've got so many copies of this book in my house and in my office and in this room that I don't embrace it like this. And we need to be reminded of the, um, the remarkable gift of having the will and the desire and the heart of God. I can know God. He's actually communicated in a language that I can understand and I can actually experience the, the heart of God. It, it can be revealed to me through this book. Is the Bible an ancient history text? Well, yeah, it is. Can it be read and appreciated as classic literature? In secular contexts, absolutely, it sure can. Can it be considered a source of, of wisdom, like a collection of good advice? Yeah, it, it can. But if you think of the Bible on your shelf or on your nightstand in any of those ways and only in those ways, you simply will not be compelled to read it, okay? Because you don't need more history and you don't need more classic literature and you got plenty of helpful advice coming out of every channel. So you won't pick it up. Unless you see the Bible as it is, God's heart revealed to you. God making himself known to his highest creation, which is humanity, so that we can know God. We can actually know his character, which is what we need to deeply know. We can know his ways. We can know his instruction. This is not just history, literature, or wisdom. This is a letter from God to us. And we should read it over and over again, all of it, all the time. We should be living in this. So the first question has to do with your head. How do you understand the word? How do you view the Bible? The second question I want to ask is more about your heart. How do you feel about the Bible? That's the question. Second question is, how do you feel about the Bible? It's so important that we read God's word. I want to say it's even more important that we love God's word, that we love God's word. And the reason for that is simple. The few things that you love are the few things that will change your life. That's why. I want to encourage you to love God's word because the few things that you love are the only things that will actually shape, influence, change your life. There are so many parts of your life, so many things you're involved in. Here it is, it's a new year, game on tomorrow, right? It's like, if, unless it, if it wasn't already game on for you last week, it's time. All these demands, all these things you're involved in, so many voices out there, especially at the beginning of a new year, telling us about all this advice. Everybody's got advice for the new year, right? Everybody's got five easy steps to perfecting this, changing that. Change your life, change your energy level, change your happiness, change your financial status, right? Change your diet, change your looks, improve your workout plan, all that stuff, blah, blah, blah. It's just all kinds of stuff, all kinds of stuff. The few things that will change your life are the few things that you love. So you have to love the word if it's going to affect your life. You have to love the word. If you love it, it will shape you, it will change you. 
Now, clearly, there are things outside of our control that will impact us this year, right? We know that. Outside of our control, sometimes, uh, someday, we'll look back on 2019, and we'll say, yeah, that thing, I had no ability to control it. It happened to me. It changed my life. Aside from those things that are outside of our control, I'm talking about the few things that were actually in our control. If we choose to read the word and to love the word, we will be transformed by the word. It will be something that we, as we, as we learn it and know it, we will fall in love with it. And we will be affected and deeply changed by it. Every year on my birthday, this is my prayer. Help me love your word, Lord. Help me love your word. I have to love your word. And I want to love your word. I shared this story with you before. I'll just repeat it in a brief sense. Now, I was 21 years old. I just transferred to Wheaton College in, in Illinois. I didn't know anyone. I'd never been there before. In the first couple of weeks of school, I visited different churches. Uh, they were strange, that Midwestern church thing. That was a, a, a new thing for me. Um, and so on my birthday, which happened to be a Sunday, I decided I'm going to go to the park. And I was in the practice of reading a chapter of the Bible every day, and I had all morning. So I thought, I'll read the longest chapter in the Bible, which is Psalm 119. I just happened to know that. So I sat down, and I, and I read the whole thing. Um, and uh, then it was such a, I was so moved by, it's a, it's a psalm or a song or a prayer that is written by David, and I was so moved by what he was saying about the word. I was so moved by his declaration of affection for the word, which, remember, for him was just the first five books of the Bible which is not necessarily the most riveting reading. Um, but he's loving this, and, and I'm so moved by this, it challenged me. And, you know, I'm, I'm turning 21. I'm, I'm like, just made a big life change, transferring to a new school, focusing on my education in a whole different way. And I'm, I'm super trans, uh, what's the word, um, impressionable. And, and I just think, I need this. This has got to be a core ingredient, a basic part of my life. I need to love the word. And, you know, you get kind of self-reflective on your birthday, typically. And, and David's words challenged my whole approach to the way I was reading the Bible and my whole approach to the word that year. And it changed the way I read the word that year. And so when I turned 22, I read that psalm again on my birthday. And when I turned 23, I read the psalm again. And when I turned 24, I read it again. And last September, I read it for the 25th year in a row. Um, and every year, I am moved by this passionate love for the word and my need to have that same kind of devotion to the word of God. Um, do I love his word? Do we love God's word? I'd like to take a little bit of time it's a very long psalm. It would take a long time to read it, so I won't read the whole thing, but I'm going to read parts of it. And maybe you want to follow along. I'll give you the verse numbers. Maybe it would be easier for you just to listen to this and just kind of let this wash over. But if you want to follow along, it's on page 425, Psalm 119. <clears throat> and David's going to use a bunch of different words as synonyms for the word. He's going to use law, statutes, commands, decrees, precepts, promises, and word. It all means the word of God. Just read this and let the word speak. Verse 1, Psalm 119. <clears throat> Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, 
who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Praise be to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. 15. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Do good to your servant and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. Verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselors. I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 28. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Verse 34, give me understanding and I will keep your law. I will obey it with all my heart. Verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Verse 49, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this, your promise preserves my life. 56, this has been my practice. I obey your precepts. 65, do good to your servant according to your word, O Lord. Teach me knowledge and good judgment, for I believe in your commands. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I obey your word. You are good, and what you do is good. Teach me your decrees. 72. The law from your mouth is more precious to me than thousands of pieces of silver and gold. 74. May those who fear you rejoice when they see me, for I have put my hope in your word. 97. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. 101. I've kept my feet from every evil path so that I might obey your word. I have not departed from your laws, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in my mouth. I gain understanding from your precepts, therefore I hate every wrong path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. 114. You are my refuge and my shield. I have put my hope in your word. 127. Because I love your commands more than gold, more than pure gold, and because I consider all your precepts right, I hate every wrong path. Your statutes are wonderful, therefore I obey them. The unfolding of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. I open my mouth and pant, longing for your commands. 140, your promises have been thoroughly tested, and your servant loves them. Though I am lowly and despised, I do not forget your precepts. 145. I call with all my heart, answer me, O Lord, and I will obey your decrees. I call out to you, save me, I will keep your statutes. I rise before the dawn, I cry for you, I put my hope in your word. My eyes stay open through the watches of the night, may I, that I may meditate on your promises. 161. Rulers persecute me without cause, but my heart trembles 
at your word. A couple more. 171. May my lips overflow with praise. For you teach me your decrees. May my tongue sing of your word, for all your commands are righteous. And then 176, I have strayed like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I have not forgotten your commands. Friends, the few things that change us are the few things that we love. And the difference between those who casually are casually aware of the word of God, and those whose lives are shaped and formed and changed by the word of God is that those whose lives are being changed by the word, they love the word. They love it. They've grown to a place of reverent respect and admiration from the word. They've come alive as they've read the word. They've been cut and convicted as they've read the word of truth. They have stepped out in in obedience to the word, and they've then seen the word proven true, Uh, They have been comforted in their pain by the word. They love the word. Don't take the word from me. I love the word. They've made an investment of time and and obedience that's required in order to know the word, and they've come to love the word, and we can too, and we must. We must. Reading the word is one of the basic practices of the Christian faith, and you never outgrow the basics. The reading of God's word is the place of new growth for you this year. The reading of God's word is the basic reading of God's word. Ten minutes with coffee in the morning before you... That is the place of growth for you this year. That is the dynamic place of new, dy- of new development. I overheard this conversation recently. It was in another town with another community. It's not anybody here. It's two women talking. First woman, woman says to the second woman, I read the word, I, I, I do this and I do this. She had a lot to say. I, I use this tool and sometimes I'll use this book and I really like this teacher and then there's this app and I use this app all the time and, and I read the word like this and then occasionally I'll put it here and occasionally I'll do it there and I read it like this. But I don't love the word like you do. And the second woman says to the first woman, with simplicity and humility and power, Why don't you? (laughs) Why don't you? This is the revealed heart of God. What's keeping you from loving it? I thought it'd be helpful just to hear a quick story um, from somebody other than myself. Would you join me up here for a second? I invite my mom to, to share. So um, can you just take a minute, mom, and tell us what you've noticed um, about yourself as you've embraced this practice of reading the word? Well, first of all, um, uh, it was uh, many years of false, of good intentions and false starts. Mm -hmm. 
before I could finally make the commitment to be in the Word every day. And reading the Bible every day, uh, I'm convinced, has affected my thoughts, my attitudes, my actions, my perspective, especially doing it first thing in the morning. It starts the day with a definite attitude, expectation, approach. Um, it's the best way to start the day. Um, in the beginning, um, it was about establishing a habit that I knew that I needed in order to grow spiritually. But now, I'm absolutely pulled in and drawn to God's word. I do love it. I look forward to it every morning. It's not a habit anymore. It's part of who I am and what I do. And I, I do have, I have grown to love it because of that. Thanks. Great job. I appreciate that. Thank you. I want to encourage us as we um, enter the year and consider all kinds of things and schedules and priorities and practices and routines and demands and the real life stuff of real life to uh, hold a healthy suspicion for the new and the dramatic and the revolutionary and to instead treasure the basics and uh, come back <laughs> or to dig deeper um, into, uh, into the basics of life. And let's begin with the word. Amen? Let's pray together. Grateful, Lord, for your love, the gift of your heart revealed to us we are in a culture and a time when the access that we have to amazingly well-documented and well-researched and well-translated copies of your word are everywhere and available for so little money. And it's a, a blessing and maybe in some ways it's caused us to take it for granted. So I pray for grace for the discouraged, for the confused, for the young mom who has no time, everyone in between, that we would open up your word and hear your heart, the heart of God revealed for us. May we grow in maturity as we practice this basic practice this year in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.